Oh, good morning. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. One more time, because we're Trinitarian up in here. Christ is risen. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. It is such a joy to have you in our house. I got to tell you, when I was standing on the front row uh, over there worshiping, I was just waylaid uh, with emotion, um, which doesn't happen to me as powerfully as it just happened to me that often in worship, but it just waylaid me. And I, I thought about Isaiah 53. Isaiah says, this is the old King James version, but it says about Jesus that he will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. He will see the travail, like what he worked for on the cross, what his whole life was about. He will see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And I'm looking at a full room here of people who have put their confidence in Jesus Christ and are letting worship erupt from the center of who they are and us being together in the presence of God with joy on our faces and tears streaming down our cheeks, seeing one another and seeing the presence of God in each other. This is everything that Jesus worked for. And we know this because of what Andrew Cantrell, our worship pastor, said, that at the end of history, what you see is a worship service just like this. You see people from every tribe and tongue and nation and people and language gathered together. And what they are doing is they are worshiping God. And so what is our life on planet Earth? It is like one anticipated resurrection after another until that moment when he returns again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And if you agree with that this morning, can you say a real loud amen? amen. And so I say to you again, Christ is risen. I said, Christ is risen. I'm saying to you one more time, Christ is risen. First Corinthians chapter 15 Starting in verse 20, hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, brothers and sisters, so in Christ all will be made alive. This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. Let's pray. And you will see the travail of your soul. And you will be satisfied. Today we stand in the light and in the power of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. For 2,000 years this story has been told. The story not just of a cross, the death of a heroic founder, but the story of an empty tomb. About how Good Friday just wasn't the end about how Sunday is always coming and there's a new day that's always dawning upon us. Paul wrote that if any person in, is in Christ, it's all a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, he said, everything has become new. Right now we're standing in a new world. Everything has changed. There's new power at work in the world. There is new possibility for human life because Jesus is raised from the dead. We keep telling ourselves this story, and Paul elsewhere will say, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable the judgments and the paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God 
Paul says that God should repay him for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and forevermore. The paths are unsearchable. They're beyond tracing out. And so we pray that somehow you take us deeper into the mystery this morning. We pray that our lives in all of their beauty and all their glory, all their heartache and all their tragedy, we would find that they're all transfigured somehow by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So grant that we would hear you and see you this morning. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth, O God, and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. Why is resurrection such a big deal? Why is it the Christians all over the world, unless you're Eastern Orthodox, they gather next Sunday for Easter Sunday. But why is it the Christians, that was just a little coda for you, for those of you that are really sticklers about liturgical truth. Uh, Why is it the Christians around the world on this day make such a big deal? Why is it that we make such a big deal generally of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? I can remember growing up in church. And kind of having that feeling when we would come and go, okay, this is amazing, but it just feels like kind of something awesome that happened to Jesus. And so what for us? What about us? But the way that the Bible talks about resurrection is that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and our own resurrection, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and our own destiny, somehow those destinies are perfectly tangled up with one another so that one destiny is implicated in the other destiny. This is everywhere in the scriptures, but one of the most memorable and vivid moments where talk of resurrection first starts coming out is Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel's observing the people of God have lost all of their hope. Their national life has been reduced to ashes. And he sees this vision, and this vision is a representation of the house of Israel. He says that the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and that valley was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. And he asked me, son of man, I love this, son of man, can these bones live? And I love how Ezekiel responds to the Lord. He says, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Son of man, can these bones live? The national life of Israel, can it come back again? These bones, all the dead that are laying in the graves, wherever they are laying in the graves. Son of man, what do you think? Can these bones live? The New Testament scholar Robert Jensen says this. He says that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the Lord's answer to his own question. That God asks, son of man, can these bones live? And Jesus comes marching out of the grave. His resurrection and our resurrection are intimately bound up. So I want to say to you this morning that our resurrection and Jesus' resurrection, they're tied together perfectly with one another so that when we look at Jesus, we see everything that we can possibly know about ourselves. I want to say to you this morning three things about the resurrection. Number one, the resurrection is a rebuke to every form of despair. You ever despaired in your heart about your future? Something happened to you that knocked you off kilter, got you questioning how things were going to go? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, I want to say to you this morning, is a rebuke to every single form of despair. 
about a year and a half ago, one of our colleagues here at New Life Church passed away, Lori Welch. Lori was in her 40s. Cancer came out of nowhere. Battled it for about six months or so. Seemed to be winning the battle and then finally succumbed. And we loved Lori. Some of you in this room might actually have known Lori. Lori was a bright light in a dark world. Deeply good and decent person. There was never a moment that I ran into Lori Welch in the hallways at New Life where she wouldn't just beam with the light of God on her face. She's just a brilliant light. And she passed away. And one of Lori's dying wishes is that one of her requests is that I would officiate her funeral service. And so I got together with her husband, Christian Welch. They have four kids, college age, all the way down to teenagers. And I sat at Atmosphere Gastropub up on InterQuest with Christian And we started telling stories, and I wanted to hear from him what Lori was really like. I knew what I knew of Lori from working with her, but I didn't know Lori behind the scenes. And I'll never forget sitting across from Christian and listening to Christian tell me about Lori and what Lori was like, Lori's heart, and the way that Lori cared for people. And, And then he said this. He looked me in the eye, and he said, and Christian and Lori were going on about 25 years of marriage. And he said, Andrew, you know what hurts the worst about all of this? And I said, what? He said that after 25 years of marriage, I feel like I was just figuring out how to love her well. And I cried and I cried and I cried. And I cried all afternoon. Mandy and I are going on 25 years. A couple years from now, our kids are about the same age. And I, I actually, in some ways, can say the same thing. I'm figuring out now how to love Mandy well. And I thought about what that would be like. And I thought about the rank injustice of that, the robbery of that. I thought about how evil that is, that stuff like that happens in our world. So where is it that Christians find hope when stuff like that happens? When death comes and severs our relationships and causes our story to go off kilter, this is where we find hope. This is what the psalmist said, Psalm 16. He said, I have set the Lord continually before me. So we find it in God. Because he is at my right hand, the psalmist said, I will not be shaken. Therefore, the psalmist said, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest in hope. For you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. The psalmist believes that even when death comes and severs relationships, and we have those moments where we go, I was just figuring out how to love this person well, and now it feels like the story is over. Resurrection is like the news that comes to us that even when it feels like death has made the story come to an end, the story doesn't come to an end. There's a hope beyond all of that. And Peter, in the first Christian sermon ever preached at Pentecost, actually grabs this very text, Psalm 16. And that statement of David's, that was a statement of hope, that God, you won't abandon me to the grave. You won't let the Holy One see decay. You're going to lift me up out of death. Peter says this to the crowd that was gathered there that day. This is Acts chapter 2. You can zip forward a few. Come on, there it is. Acts 2 and verse 29. 
He says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he wasn't abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses. That that thing that for David that was just a hope out there that maybe God will do it, the early church said, Jesus is raised from the dead. Therefore, all of the promises are sure. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. No matter how many promises God has made, they are all in who? In Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God the Father, the rebuke the resurrection from the dead is a rebuke to every form of despair. And despair, I got to tell you, is deadly. That when all of a sudden you begin to give up in your heart, that is the moment when life starts slipping away. The Holocaust survivor, Viktor Frankl, in his little memoir, This Man's Search for Meaning, talks about how when he was in the concentration camps, he noticed that people could endure almost anything, but the one thing that they couldn't endure was the loss of hope. That once despair set into your heart, that was literally the moment when all of a sudden physically, psychologically, spiritually, a person would begin to fall apart and they would usually die. And he said you had to, in the concentration camps, you had to hope beyond hope that there was a future for you. You had to find something to cling to. I am here to say to you that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the thing that we cling to. That it doesn't matter how dark the days are. It doesn't matter how awful things seem. It doesn't matter how skewed the relationships are or how jacked up the situation seems. It doesn't matter how much darkness has filled your souls. Jesus is raised from the dead. Therefore, you have a tomorrow. And there are some of you in this room that you are dealing with despair. And it has you at the edge of your existence. And I'm saying to you this morning, look to Jesus. Jesus is your future. Which leads me to the second thing that I want to say to you about the resurrection. Number two, that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, friends, it is deep rest for our souls. Because we know that our future doesn't depend upon us. We don't have to make it happen. We're not here to bring about the new world. We can't fix everything. It was never in our capacity to do so. And good news for us, we don't have to do so. The resurrection is rest for our souls. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, for you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, it's... Easy, and my burden is Jesus is doing the heavy lifting and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. God has secured all of our futures. And I think often about that great moment at the end of the book of Revelation. If you've read through the scriptures, you know this moment, Revelation 21. John, who was one of Jesus' best friends, he looks to the end of history. He sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared, he says, as a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband, and then he heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, I am making all things 
new. There will be no more death or mourning or sorrow or suffering or pain, the voice says, for the old order of things, it has passed away. Do you know what I love the most about that moment in Revelation 21? Nobody does anything to make it happen. There's just the mess of our existence. And then all of a sudden it's like God goes, and now. And the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God as a gift of grace. There is nothing you and I can do to earn or to deserve the future that God has prepared for those who love him. It's just a gift. There was nothing that we could do to bring about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. It was just a gift. All we do is we put our confidence in it. We receive it. And every time, I'm here to say to you this morning, every time we come to one of those moments in our lives where it feels like the lights have gone out and the story is over and there is no way that we can have a future, do you know what God keeps saying to us? Jesus is raised from the dead. You always have. Tomorrow, I think about one of the darkest moments of my life. 2014 was the worst year of my life by far. Just about killed me. Just about killed the church that I was pastoring. And I'll never forget the despair that I felt around all of that going, there is no way. There's no way that we can keep going forward. There's no way after all of this stuff that's happened, there's no way that we've got a future. There's no way that we've got hope. And I'll never, I will never forget this as long as I live, getting to the beginning of 2015 and opening the scriptures to Jeremiah 31 and reading this to a people whose lives had also ended with the calamity of exile. The Lord appeared to us in the past, Jeremiah says. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you along, the Lord says, with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. And you, O virgin Israel, will be rebuilt. And again you will take up your timbrels. And again you will go out to dance with the joyful. And again you will plant vineyards on the hill of Samaria. The farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit. And there will be a day when the watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim, Come on, let's go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Verse 15, this is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Have you ever been there? Where the grief and the hurt and the pain at the end of the story was so deep that when somebody came around you and tried to put their arm around you and said, hey, it's going to be okay, you like wanted to throw their arm off. Get away from me. Just let me sit in this. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is what the Lord says. Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. Like, listen, mama, your babies are coming home. And I remember sitting there in all of that grief and in all of that despair thinking, the reason that I have a future is because there is a God in heaven who says to us, I will build you up and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. It doesn't depend on Andrew. It doesn't depend on my creativity and my ingenuity and the strength of my arms. No, no, no. But the Lord is our strength and the Lord is our salvation. And the Lord is the one who says to us that if anyone is in Christ, it's all new 
creation. Every moment of our lives is a moment where we can step into the new creation because of what Jesus has done. And do you know what that does to us? It not only gives us rest in our souls, but it gives us energy for responsible action. That all of a sudden, because we know that the future is bright, we set about doing the things that we can do to get our lives back on track. I've learned so much over the years about hope from the black church. All that they endured in our country. And there is like this buoyant hope that has carried the African-American church through all of the difficulties. And I'll never forget hearing an interview with John Lewis, one of the forerunners and central figures inside the civil rights movement. John Lewis, born and raised in the South, born and raised in the church, grew up, became a minister, went to seminary, and also was deeply involved in the civil rights movement, in and out of jail for civil disobedience, multiple times over, was beaten within inches of his life. And the interviewer asked him, One time, she said, John, how is it that you were able to endure all of that? Like, why didn't you throw in the towel when things were so dark and when they were hard? When the task seemed impossible, what was it that kept you from throwing in the towel? And do you know what John Lewis said? He said, oh, well, we believed that it was already done That in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the longed for justice and kingdom of God had already occurred and that it was as good as gold, which means that all you had to do was keep doing whatever you could do because the future doesn't depend on you. We had to believe it was already done. Do you understand that that's what Christians believe? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Christ, he says, has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Like the great longed-for resurrection, Paul says, it's already happened in Jesus. What we do is we just keep walking forward. In that same vein, Martin Luther King Jr. said in one of his famous sermons, he wrote this, that Good Friday may occupy the throne for a day. <laughs> But ultimately, it must give way to the triumphant beat of the drums of Easter. And evil may so shape events that Caesar will occupy a palace and Christ a cross. But one day, that same Christ will rise up and split history into AD and BC so that even the life of Caesar must be dated by his name. Christ is raised from the dead. Everything has become new. I don't know what despair you have in your heart. I don't know what lack of rest you have in your heart. I I don't know how you're looking at the future and thinking about things. All I know is that we have been given new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Everything is marked by him. Your life is marked by him. Some of you are sitting in this room and you don't even trust in him yet. Your life also is marked by him. And you can put your confidence in him and find that you're already always tangled up with God in Christ. And so the resurrection is a rebuke to every form of despair and it's deep rest for our souls. But the third thing that I want to say to you, and with this we'll begin to make the turn into communion, is that the resurrection is a reminder 
of just how far grace goes. It's a reminder of just how far grace goes. And that same sermon that Peter preached on Pentecost Sunday all those years ago, he continues by saying this, Acts chapter 2. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, like you saw it all. He says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, you put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Do you hear what Peter says? You did this incredibly awful thing and God has somehow turned the worst thing that could ever happen on planet earth. Human beings putting God to death. And Peter says what God did is God turned the most evil thing that ever happened inside out so that now that evil thing is a source of our salvation. Honey, can you hand me that cross there? In the history of the church, one of the things, one of the ways that we have talked about what God has done for us is there is this Latin phrase, Felix culpa. One of the oldest hymns of the church starts with it. Oh, happy fault is how we translate Felix culpa. And the happy fault that's referred to is the fact that in the book of Genesis, after life and death had been set before that first couple, they chose death. And the song goes on to talk about how in choosing death, somehow this fault, this evil thing that was done by our first parents, somehow what it's done is it's gained for us so great and glorious a redeemer. And it is an astonishing fact, maybe the most astonishing fact and the deepest mystery of the Christian faith, that this thing right here, the cross of Jesus, this is not a thing that ever should have happened. It's not the will of God that we would step out of the will of God and bring disaster to ourselves and others. It was not the will of God. It was not the will of God that the Son of God should hang upon a tree. That was not the will of God. And yet somehow what God has done is he has taken this thing and turned it inside out, made an instrument of torture, the very source of life for us. So that when we look at this story, we go, we don't see how it could have been otherwise. Paul says this in Romans 5.20. He says that where sin abounds, grace, it much more abounds. And I know that there are some of you that are with us this morning and you're saying, Andrew, you don't know how bad it is. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that have been done to me. You don't know how messed up this thing is. And I say to you this morning, I don't have to know because I know one thing. Christ is raised from the dead, which means that there is no person and no situation that is beyond hope. For the God who took the cross and turned it inside out will do the same with your story if you'll surrender it up to him, will you stand this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion? Church, you know you can trust Jesus. 
And I pray that you would. And I don't know where you found yourself in the sermon this morning. I don't know where you found yourself in these scriptures. I don't know where the Spirit was speaking to you, but I'm asking you this morning now to begin to respond to the Spirit. And we together, as the church, we respond to you, Spirit of the living God. The Spirit is the one that awakens hope in us. The Spirit is the one that awakens faith in us. The Spirit is the one that puts Christ Jesus in front of us and says, believe. And so we do. We put our trust in you this morning, Jesus. And we declare the resurrection of Jesus from the dead into every situation that is hopeless. We say, there's no such thing as hopeless anymore. And I speak this morning to every heart that is full of despair, that doesn't believe that there's anything worth living for, that they can't go on. And I say, Christ is raised from the dead. Believe the good news. And so this morning we do that. And we remember that on the night that you were betrayed, after you had given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it. And you gave it to your disciples and you said, take this, all of you, and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do it whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, Jesus, the Lord. He meets us at the table still and always. In fact, after he was raised from the dead, two of his companions, he walked alongside them and they didn't even recognize them. Not until they went in and he handed them the bread and the cup did they see that Jesus was alive and that their stories were tucked into his. And so this morning, Jesus, we pray that at your table, we'd find ourselves hidden with Christ and God. Granted, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to invite our servers to come forward to serve communion this morning. If this is your first time with us, we believe that this is a meal for the family of God, for all of those who have put their trust in Jesus. And it may be that as you were preaching, this is your first time really feeling faith arise in your heart. And if that's you, that faith is already a gift of God that tucks you right into Jesus the Lord, and you're welcome to come to the table with us. All who trust in Jesus, this meal is yours. We exit down the center aisles, and then you'll come up down to the front here. Servers will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the cup and take it as you head back to your seat. And I say to you this morning, brothers and sisters, these are the gifts of God, and they are given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.